0: Good morning Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Tuesday, December 26, 2023, and you're listening to Alex's News. We're starting out with a mild winter chill here in Riverside, temperatures are expected to peak at a comfortable high of 68.3 degrees, while the night will draw in a low of 58.9. Now, let's take a glance at what's leading our news today. In one of our top stories, President Joe Biden has authorized retaliatory airstrikes targeting Iranian-backed militias. This decisive military action comes as a direct response to a drone attack deemed threatening to U.S. personnel and interests. We'll delve into the details of the operation and explore the implications for international relations and regional stability. On a different note, we turn our eyes to an ongoing debate in the academic realm right here in California. Universities across the Golden State are currently grappling with increasing demands to repatriate Native American remains and cultural artifacts. We'll cover the perspectives of university scholars, indigenous communities, and legal experts as this issue shines a light on historical injustices and the path towards restitution. Stay tuned as we unpack these stories and more on Alex's News. We lead today's coverage with a critical development in the Middle East. President Joe Biden has authorized retaliatory airstrikes against Iranian-backed militia groups in Iraq. To unpack the latest on this situation, we're joined by our reporter Ethan. Ethan, can you share more about what prompted this strong military response from President Biden?
1: Certainly, Grace. So, this all started with a drone attack which resulted in 3 US service members being wounded, one critically, in Iraq. This attack has been claimed by Kataib Hezbollah, which is known to be supported by Iran. Katib
0: Hezbollah, that name has come up before, hasn't it? Could you give us a bit more background on this group?
1: Indeed, Katib Hezbollah was formed in 2007, and they're an Iraqi Shia militant group with a strong linkage to Iran. They've been vocal about their objective to expel U.S. and coalition forces from Iraq and to essentially promote an Iranian-aligned government in the region. This isn't their first clash with U.S. forces.
0: And with the Biden administration taking action, What can you tell us about the specific details of these retaliatory strikes?
1: Based on the information from ABC News and AP News, the U.S. airstrikes hit three operational facilities used by Kataib Hezbollah and affiliated groups. These were strategic targets likely to be weapon caches or command centers, resulting in severe damage, with one militant confirmed killed and 18 others injured by the strikes, according to Iraqi officials.
0: This is a significant escalation. What do you think the Biden administration's strategy is here with such a direct military response?
1: Well, it seems that the aim here is to deter further attacks and protect U.S. personnel. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin reinforced this, stating that the U.S. is ready to defend its people and facilities in the region. Despite criticism from some for what's been seen as a measured response to previous provocations, it's clear that the Biden administration is willing to take decisive action when necessary to ensure the safety of its service members.
0: With the recent Israel-Hamas war and the killing of an Iranian general in a strike attributed to Israel, are there concerns about a potential wider regional conflict?
1: Absolutely, there are concerns. The region is extremely volatile right now, and the Biden administration is certainly trying to prevent the recent conflicts from spiraling into a broader confrontation. It's a delicate balance between showing strength and maintaining stability, and every action has potential implications for the dynamic in the Middle East.
0: Do we know if the airstrikes have achieved their intended effects? Or are we waiting to see how the militia groups, or Iran, might respond?
1: The immediate effect seems to be the destruction of specific targets tied to the militia groups, but retaliation of this nature could trigger a variety of responses. It's a bit of a waiting game to see if this deters further hostility or escalates tensions. Kataib, Hezbollah and Iran might now reassess their approach, but it's too early to make definitive predictions.
0: Fascinating insights, Ethan. Thank you for that comprehensive look at President Biden's actions and the wider implications.
1: Happy to share the analysis, Grace.
0: Stay with us for more news after the break, where we'll discuss another developing story. We're turning our attention now to an important issue that's been developing in the state of California. Universities there are under increased pressure to repatriate Native American remains and artifacts to local tribes. Our reporter Chloe has been following the story closely. Chloe, can you break down the current situation for us?
2: Absolutely, Grace. This issue has been brewing for quite some time. Both the University of California and the California State University systems are under state and federal mandates to return these significant and sensitive items to Native tribes. While some progress has been made, recent audits have shown that these institutions have not fully complied with the laws.
0: Do we have any specifics on where the UC and CSU systems stand in terms of compliance?
2: Yes, we do. For the UC campuses, they've managed to return around 35% out of roughly 17,000 human remains, and 30% more are in the process of being repatriated. However, the compliance varies widely across different campuses, UCLA is nearly done with almost the entire collection returned. But down at UC Berkeley, they have only repatriated about 20%. That's quite the disparity between campuses. How about the CSU system? How are they faring? Well, it's a more challenging picture there. Collectively, the CSU campuses have only returned about 6% out of 698,000 artifacts and remains. Furthermore, more than half of their campuses with collections have been flagged by the state auditor's office for not keeping up with their inventories, which is essential for repatriation.
0: That brings us to Governor Gavin Newsom's involvement. What measures is he putting in place to ensure that these universities adhere to the repatriation laws?
2: Governor Newsom has taken a proactive stance here by signing new legislation that requires UC and CSU systems to provide annual reports on their repatriation efforts. The goal is to speed up the return of these items and hold the universities accountable to the state and federal laws that have been in place for decades.
0: Chloe, can you speculate on the potential implications or consequences if universities continue to lag in this effort?
2: The implications are significant, not only legally but also culturally and morally. There could be penalties or loss of funding if these laws are not met, but more importantly, this is about respecting the heritage and rights of Native American tribes. Prolonged failure to return these remains and artifacts causes continued distress to the tribal communities.
0: Are there any other factors or peculiarities related to this story that we should be aware of?
2: The major factors hindering progress include a lack of resources and the monumental task of inventorying vast collections. Each artifact must be carefully catalogued and its cultural affiliation determined, a process that requires time and expertise. Plus, coordination with various tribes to ensure the proper handling and return of the items is key to a successful repatriation.
0: This is certainly a complex issue with deep historical roots. Chloe Thank you for that thorough analysis and for keeping us up to date on the efforts to repatriate Native American remains and artifacts in California.
2: It's my pleasure, Grace. It's an ongoing story, and I'll be sure to bring any updates as they come in.
0: Good morning everyone,
2: here are some other
0: headlines we're following today. In Britain, there is a rising concern regarding the state of protest rights that are seen as a bedrock of democracy. Following legal changes last year creating a «public nuisance» offence and expanded police powers over protests, the United Nations has called British laws «terrifying». Despite half of the environmental activists being acquitted by juries, the Conservative government insists on the strict application of the law, leading to what is called a «justice lottery» for protesters. This is amidst a broader political shift since Brexit, with increased protests and arrests, Particularly amongst Just Stop Oil activists. While rights are protected under the European Convention on Human Rights, new restrictions and the detention of protesters challenge these fundamental freedoms. In the United States, Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene from Georgia was the target of a swatting attempt that failed on Christmas Day. This dangerous prank, intended to draw police to a residence under false pretenses, was quickly dismissed as a hoax by local law enforcement who are now working with Capitol Police to bolster security for members of Congress. Meanwhile, the conflict in Gaza is escalating, with Israeli forces ramping up their military campaign against Hamas, leading to significant telecommunications outages and a harsh impact on civilian life. With a death toll exceeding 20,000, global calls for a ceasefire are increasing, though Israel aims to continue its operations. Russian opposition figure Alexei Navalny remains defiant from captivity, maintaining his sense of humour and resilience even after being transferred to a remote penal colony. Navalny has consistently criticised the government despite ongoing legal challenges. The humanitarian crisis in Gaza worsens amid the prolonged conflict, with displaced populations facing cold, scarce resources, and a devastated healthcare system. International relief efforts strive to provide aid as the demand for unimpeded humanitarian access is more critical than ever. Lastly, minimum wage workers in 22 states can look forward to a pay raise starting January 1, 2023, potentially injecting an additional $6.95 billion in wages into the economy, according to the Economic Policy Institute. With 30 states in D.C. already boasting minimum wages above the federal level, States like Rhode Island, Nevada, and Michigan are leading up with planned gradual increases through to 2030. Stay tuned as we continue to monitor these developing stories. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4, GPT-3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.